Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for another episode of the Culinary School Stories podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so. We would love to have you as part of our community. And you can do it for free through your favorite podcast apps, such as Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or through our website at www.culinaryschoolstories.com, which is also where we store all of the show's episodes and our guest bios. So be sure to check it out. I would now like to introduce today's guest, who is not only a chef, but a food and beverage manager, a bartender, a mixologist with her own infused vodkas, and a fashion model. And these are just a few of her culinary school stories that we're going to talk about today. Jaira Moore, welcome to the show, and I'm so glad you are here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you, Chef Rush. Great. So let's go back to the beginning. You know, where your love of food started and at Talk about Tarpon Springs High School, where you attended the Jacobson Culinary Arts Academy, which is in Florida. What inspired you to go there and and really start your culinary career? So majority of the high schools that were in my county were, I guess you could say STEM programs. So science, technology, math, um, engineering. And I just really wasn't into that kind of stuff. I feel like you have somewhat of a hands-on approach with those areas of um, science and math and technology and stuff, but it wasn't as hands-on as I want it to be. Um, So coming into my graduating, I guess you could say eighth grade year of middle school, um, my guidance counselor comes to me and she's like, well, what do you want to do for high school? Like, what program do you want to do? Um, And I just said, yeah, I don't want to go to school close to my house. (laughs) So me and my mom talked about it and she was like, well, where are you going to go? And I told her I wanted to go to culinary school. I felt like it was something I was really interested in. My grandmother cooked all the time at her house, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all of the, the holidays were such a big time at her house and she would cook everything. And I always, I was so little then, but I was just like, oh man, I want to help. Like this looked like so much fun, flour everywhere, sugar everywhere. Like she chopping up meats and marinating stuff. So I'm like, oh, this looks so fun. I want to do it. So I felt like going into high school was like my time to where I could see if this was something I really wanted to encounter and how serious I was going to take it. So ninth grade year, I enrolled in the Jacobson Culinary Arts Academy at Tarpon Springs High School. And I got in and I was excited. And then after that, it just kind of, it kind of went by so fast. It was like high school went by so fast, but I, it's definitely something I would never forget getting up three o'clock in the morning to ride the school bus two and a half hours to my school. Wow. So I could get to school at 6 a.m., 6.30 a little was definitely something like I would never forget. I think I spent more time on the school bus than I did in class (laughs) Um, just because the ride was so long and it was so far so so you could do your homework on the bus or did you take a nap I would do homework on the bus going home like 
soon as I would wake up, get ready for school, I would get back on the bus and go back to sleep. Like I would take a, like a small like travel pillow and a blanket in my backpack. Like it was definitely <laughs> a journey getting to school, not even just like going to school, just getting to school was a journey. That's a that's dedication right there. Yeah. Did you ever think like, is this worth it? This is crazy. What am I doing? Oh my God. Every every day, like the first day of high school, I was excited. I was super excited. Then like a few months set in and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, is this even like what I really want to do? And then the culinary competition started happening. I did um, safe staff and serve state culinary competitions. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is it. Like, I feel like I'm on the Food Network. Like, this is, I I think I like it. I like it. (laughs) So, yeah, it definitely was worth it. I can't say it was. That's great. I know they have a really good program there. So now you graduated. Why why Johnson & Wales? Did you you look at any other schools? Did you have a tour of the campus there? Why did you pick the one in, in, especially in, in Miami, North Miami? Well, I looked at CIA first. I wanted to look at the best schools in my field. So I know I was getting the best education, the best experience, um, just all of that all together. So CIA mom was like, no, that's too far. You're not going to New York. (laughs) I was like, okay, we can scale it back a little. Then I looked at Johnson & Wales and I was like, okay, they have more than just one campus. I said, okay, what about Providence? She was like, no, it's cold there. You're not going to like it. You're not going to like it. I promise you, you're not going to like it. I was like, so Miami was closest to home. So I was like, okay, well, I could just go to Miami and I'll still be close. It's like three and a half hours away from St. Petersburg. So it was Miami. So once I became an adult, I told my mom, I was like, yeah, I'm ready to leave Florida. Like it's it's time to go. I'm, I'm ready to go. It's time to go. And then that's when I decided to pick up and move to Charlotte. And I've been here ever since. (laughs) So you started in Miami and you did what, one, two years there and then transferred to the Charlotte campus? Yep. Two years in Miami, my first two years. So that's where I finished my associate's program. And then my last two years I did in Charlotte. That's where I finished my bachelor's program. Awesome. So what about that first day on campus? You're in there, you're going to culinary arts. So you're getting your uniforms, your knife kit. What's going through your head? What what are you you thinking? Oh my gosh. I was super, super excited. Moving into the dorms, like just the whole experience of getting to meet everybody that was on my floor in the dorms. Super, super fun. And that was my first time even going to the campus. So I didn't do a before tour wow. or anything. I did, it was just kind of like, all this is what I'm going to do. I'm going all in with it. Like, that's it. That's it. So my mom was like, of course, you know, parents are like, oh my God, my baby's going to college and I have to leave her. And I'm just like, mom, is, I'm three hours away from home. Like, it's totally fine. But <laughs> I was super excited, but I was not expecting our scheduling to be how it was. I didn't Pay that any attention. Those 7 a.m. labs, <laughs> it was, those 7 a.m. labs really put everything in perspective for me if this was something I really wanted to take seriously because these were going to be the hours I was going to have to wake up. These were going to be the tasks I was going to have to do in the kitchen when I went to work. Like they really put everything like in my head, like, okay, you need to, this is what, this is what you're going to be doing. So you need to take it serious. <laughs> and yeah, first day in labs and first day on campus, I was just kind of like, what's happening? Like what's going on? 
Yeah, and it's not just roll out of bed and run to lab. You have to get uniforms no. and pressed and all your equipment. And oh, my gosh. And that first day of labs, I think I had on, like, the wrong color socks or I didn't have on high enough socks. <laughs> and my chef was like, okay, it's okay. It's the first day. I'm going to let you pass today. <laughs> Tomorrow, <laughs> we're not going to have this problem. Like, I was just like, oh, my God, like. Is this how the chefs really are like at work? Like they're so mean. Like <laughs> they're not mean, they're strict. But strict, right. It was definitely discipline and something that I needed because high school, it was just kind of like, you know, we had to be there, but we didn't have to worry about having a clean iron press jacket, you know, pants with crease. I mean, we used to wear a uniform in high school, but it wasn't to that extent. Mm-hmm, sure. But I understand exactly why. Um our chefs were super strict on us and disciplining us because you never know who would show up on campus. Yep. So how was it? What was your best class? What was your best lab? Meat cutting. Although some people hated meat cutting, meat cutting and the beverage lab were my two best labs. Wow. Tell us about meat cutting. Why was that your one of your favorites? Oh my God. The smell was horrendous. We're going to just start there with that because you don't, <laughs> I mean, it's literally like a chop shop in there. But meat cutting was definitely my best lab, I think, because I don't know, it was just something new. Like in high school, we we did a little bit of meat cutting, but nothing to that extent and in different type of meats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, meat cutting was awesome. And I feel like I still I definitely still use all of those like <laughs> techniques that we were taught in that class. I still use them to this day, even when I go to the store and buy my own meat. Get all excited when you see that, you know, rump roast or that sirloin. Yes, I'm like, uh, that meat doesn't have enough marble in it. I don't like it. That meat doesn't like, I'm super like particular about everything now. And it's so crazy because my friends hate going out to eat with me. So <laughs> and did you have a worse class, worse lab, one that you just d- didn't work for you? Dining room. Dining room. Yeah. And I think it's so crazy because that's literally the, the I guess you could say the type of work I'm in now. And I, I feel like I left that dining room. Right. So, <laughs> so I feel like it's so crazy how things turn out. But dining, I sucked at dining room, especially when we had to do like table side service and we had to do um, the banana foster and stuff like that. I felt like I was just so nervous about burning something on the table or like dropping something. I was, I think I was just so bad at that class, but it's so crazy how things turn out. And now that's like my main focus as far as um, culinary and hospitality goes. Yeah, you're uncomfortable at the time, but now, you know, you prosper at it. Yeah, literally like a second language. <laughs> so tell the listeners, like, how hard is it? Is it hard culinary school? Is the academic part? Is the homework? Is the labs, the practicals? Give them like a sense of what it's like being there. Oh my God, culinary is hard. And especially if you do work study. So you try to figure out when is a good time to do homework. Usually I would, I could get majority of my homework done in my work study. And my work study was front desk for Flamingo Hall, which was like the freshman hall at the Johnson and Wales Miami campus. Um, but yes, culinary school is, is, is very hard. Don't let anybody tell you it's not. Culinary math is like the worst. I sucked at culinary math. And some days I still suck at culinary math. So <laughs> it's definitely a lot harder than people think. Baking, <laughs> baking and pastry was another class I was not good at because I don't like to follow directions. I don't like to go with recipes. And 
baking is very precise, very, you know, right. you have to make sure you don't forget anything because it could take your dessert from voila to blah. So <laughs> definitely culinary school is no joke. Those labs waking up being on time because I was super bad at time management. And I can say culinary definitely helped me with that as well. I sucked at time management. I was never, I was the type of person I could never be on time anywhere. I could never turn in anything on time. Um, asking for help as well. I was really bad at asking for help. And that definitely opened my eyes to it's okay to ask for help when help is needed. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, culinary school is hard. Accounting, hard. <laughs> definitely academic wise that was probably like the most challenging class i had wow accounting yeah but uh company school i don't realize is that there's so many opportunities once you get out so you're learning a lot of things or getting introduced to a lot of things but you don't have to come out and be a restaurant chef or a pastry chef you can do a lot of right. things with that info so as students go through it they find their their favorites and the ones that are they shy away from and that kind of molds them into careers for later on Mm -hmm. It definitely does. I can agree with that. And that's what I try to tell a lot of people who are in culinary school, which is something that I learned. Like, I don't have to be a line cook. I mean, it's OK to start off as a line cook and just to get your feet wet in the industry. But I don't have to be a line cook for the rest of my life. I don't have to be a sous chef. You know, it's so many other avenues that culinary has and that they're still opening. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's just endless and people always have to eat, although, you know, the pandemic kind of swayed us, you know, differently. But people are always going to have to eat. People are always hungry and people always want to drink, too. So, right. So now, you, now you're in Miami. Well, that's a fun city, you know, nightlife going out, lots of restaurants, hotels. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. You worked when you were in school. You got to go out. You got to enjoy the city restaurants. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Definitely. Miami was so much fun. I think it was a little too much fun because sometimes it can get you <laughs> off track. It can definitely get you off track. You talk, you kind of take advantage of, hmm, do I want to go to class today or do I want to just go lay by the pool of Biscayne? Or do I just want to turn all of this into a beach day? So def definitely Miami uh, makes you focus because you can definitely get off focus really, really quick. Um, yes, me and my friends ate so much whether it was at school out of school off-campus events like we ate so much and the food in Miami is like none other mm -hmm. and I tell people that all the time like Miami is literally the melting pot of culture and you get to eat so much different types of food like oh my god it's amazing and that's definitely one thing I miss so much about Miami. So true. The different the different types of food, the, so many places you can go just to meet different types of people. It's it's just so much culture. Like it's it's literally culture melting everywhere. So now when you were in school, did you participate in any of the events? I know they have a lot down there, a lot of volunteer opportunities for the students. Yes. So I participated in the Miami Food and Wine Festival with the SLS Hotel and the Hyde um, on South Beach. And I did my first internship with them as well once um, once the volunteer um, opportunity with them. And that was super, super fun. And I got to meet Chef Jose Andres, which is um, wow. the founder of the SLS in California. And then he has his location in Miami as well. 
Um, and while I was with them, we did so many events. And I think that's what really opened my eyes to what what avenue of culinary I decided I wanted to go into. Um, I can say that really uh, that really helped as far as learning the actual skills that I learned in class and using them at my internship. Because sometimes you think you're not really going to use them, but no, day one, we use those skills soon as I walked in the kitchen. <laughs> so I was super, super appreciative um, of them for letting me turn that opportunity into my internship because it's kind of challenging finding a good internship because, you know, just the paperwork aspect of it. Some people don't want to go through all of that, but they were super cool about everything. And they were they were super, super good about, you know, wanting us to help. And, and it was a paid internship and you can't get very many paid internships either. Yeah, so that's great. Yeah, we were super happy about it was myself and another student, um, another Johnson Wells graduate who were able to get um, internships with them. And I think that was really cool of them. Now, if you could change anything about your culinary experience, your culinary schooling, your academics, the, the whole process, would you or is there anything that you would change? There's nothing I would change because I definitely think everything that I went through built me up to where I am now. And just all of the background knowledge that I have, although I'm not doing what most people think a typical culinary student is supposed to be doing, all of the knowledge that I was given at Johnson & Wells, I'm using it every day when I go to work. Inventory, ordering, everything. Hospitality-wise, I'm using those skills every day when I go to work. Whether, you know, people think because I'm a bartender and a mixologist, I may not use those skills, but I definitely use them <laughs> for sure. Yeah, why don't we tell the listeners what you're doing now, where you're at, what a typical day is, and, and how those skills come into play. Yes. So right now, I am a bar manager, bartender, slash mixologist at Members Only Social Drinking Lounge here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, we are a speakeasy. So wow, like a private lounge. Um, everyone who comes in gets a membership. We also sell boutique wines. So we have local wineries that are in the area in North Carolina. Um, we sell their wines in our lounge. Um, and these are wines you typically cannot find in the grocery store. So these are like exclusive wines that you should only be able to find with us. Wow. And yeah, a typical day right now, since um, we have a new like mandate order in North Carolina, we have to close at nine o'clock. Um, anywhere that sells alcohol has to close at nine o'clock. So now we open at four before we would open at two. So now we open at four just because, you know, we don't want to be open so long and there, you know, we aren't getting very much traffic. So we open at four. I come in, I set up, you know, light the candles and everything, set the mood and the lights. Um, and we may have a few customers who come in around the time when we get off work and everything. Mm -hmm. um, when I come in, I go through all of our liquors just to make sure we have everything in stock. I write down whatever needs to be ordered. Um, I do inventory as far as anything that may be full, half full, empty, anything that we may need to order more of. Um, and that's pretty much it. I run through our cocktail menus just to make sure we stay current and on season with everything. And I get to come up with majority of our drinks that we have on our cocktail menu as well. So that's pretty fun. Well, you get to be creative in that aspect. Now, tell Super. us about your infused vodkas. Super creative. So once um, once I decided to start working with members only, it's been about a year since um, they've opened. Um, I was kind of just doing my own thing with couples and 
catering and just small private parties. And I would use liquors and different alcohols in my food, but I was kind of like, well, what if I could infuse the liquors so that way I wouldn't have to use certain herbs because these herbs will already be infused in the alcohol. Mm. So last year, I guess 2019 coming in 2020 is when I kind of started dabbling into alcohol infusion. So right now I've only started doing vodka. So right now I have an oregano vodka, a basil vodka, a rosemary, and a pomegranate. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm still trying to figure out the recipe and get it, you know, get the kinks out a little bit. So some, so that it can be something that can be used in bars as well as people can cook with as well. So you use that in your other business. Tell us about that. You're doing catering or personal chef? I am. I do a little bit of catering every now and then just because, you know, during the pandemic, it's kind of slowed down. But majority of the catering I've been doing is like for couples when they want to do like special event nights or, you know, husband wants to surprise his wife for a birthday party or something like that. Um, and I do the bartending aspect as well. So I team up with some um, some of some ladies that I've met in the city of Charlotte who have event planning um, businesses. So they come in to do the decorating and I come in with the food and the, you know, the beverage aspect of it. And it just becomes a whole, I guess you could say, production and event. So that's been pretty fun as well. But it's just something like it's like a word of mouth kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So people are like, oh, do you know a chef? And I'm like, look at me. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I am a chef. So it's um it's definitely one of those fun things I like to do every now and then whenever I can start getting my hands, you know, into cooking mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So a chef, mixologist, bartender, front of the house, management, doing a lot of stuff. But something I think fascinating that the listeners would want to hear about is your fashion. You know, your modeling career, your fashion career. I've seen some of your fashion photos posted on social media. And I have to tell you, you don't look like any chef I've ever seen. Wow. (laughs) They're stunning and beautiful. So kudos to you and to your photographers. Why don't you tell us how you got that start and what you're doing now in that area? Oh my gosh. So the crazy thing is I felt like I started all of that while I was in Miami, just because at that point I was 18. I felt like I was an adult. So (laughs) (laughs) I was able to branch out more um, with the different types of modeling that I wanted to do. And my first fashion show was Fort Lauderdale Fashion Week. And I was the youngest girl there, definitely was super, super nervous. Um, and I was the shortest too. So that kind of kind of made me like think about like if I really wanted to, you know, take my modeling serious, just because that's like a really big thing in modeling. Of course, they want you to be tall, they want you to be thin. Um and they want you to look a certain way. And I was just kind of like, I don't look like these girls. And I don't think this is what you know, can work for me. So um, while going to Johnson and Wales, I would always take pictures of me with my food or me with a drink or, you know, something just because I felt like food blogging, then Instagram wasn't as big, but food blogging really became a thing now. But I felt like I was kind of starting to, you know, figure out like, okay, I could do this. Like, this is cool. And it just wasn't a thing because Instagram wasn't as big. So, <laughs> so I kind of like rethunk everything and I was like, okay, we're going to go back to the drawing board on modeling and everything. So I kind of picked up my niche and was like, okay, 
we can start just doing stuff from waist up. They don't matter what my bottom half looks like. Like I can just do beauty and stuff. They only need to see my face. So this works. Um, and then I just kind of started with that. And I just started networking all throughout Miami. And I would just meet people from everywhere. And, and I started to work in nightclubs while I was there and bartending. And I just met so many people. And, and my modeling just started to progress and progress. And Two years ago, I did Miami Swim Week and I was able to go back to Miami and reconnect with some people that I, you know, haven't seen in so long and just enduring some new new modeling trips and new modeling photo shoots and everything like that. And it was pretty, pretty fun. And now it's like 2021, everything has kicked in, kicked in full throttle. I just did a photo shoot with this company called Asiva. Um, And they produce all natural um, protein powders, um, supplements, uh, prenatal supplements, like pretty much everything for an everyday person. Um, Before they were just doing stuff through doctors. So you have to get it um, prescribed and stuff like that. But now they have opened it up to the public where anybody can buy it. And I think it's pretty cool. And their, uh, their brand and everything that they are representing definitely goes with everything that I'm building with my brand, diversity, you know, body positivity, being healthy and just loving who you are and, and the skin that you're in. Yeah, that's that's great because it, it that that model or that that box they try to mm-hmm. put people in is really not what the right. majority of people are, right? We're not right. all tall, thin. Exactly. <laughs> we have all different shapes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So being a fashion model, I mean, I was looking at some of these photos. I mean, how long does it take you to get oh, ready for these shoots? Because some of them are in some great locations. And I mean, it, it, one photo looks like it's like that, but I'm sure there's preparation that has to go into those. It takes time, for sure. And I tell like my friends and like when people come visit me, I'm just like, guys, I got a photo shoot tomorrow. I don't know how long it's going to be. I can't tell you how long it's going to be because... Some days we say we'll go through the itinerary and we try to stay on track with the itinerary and the scheduling as much as possible, but anything can happen. And sometimes we get shoot like images that are so, so good. And they're like, oh my God, let's catch this again. Oh my God, let's do this again. So they can take time, four or five, sometimes seven to 10 hours, depending on what it is that we're shooting. Yeah. It can be like an all day process for sure. Yeah. I imagine. You got wardrobe changes, you got makeup, and then you're outdoors. You got clouds that come in, and there's noise, and yes. so they're probably always trying to get that r- perfect shot and uh, what it takes to get it. Perfect lighting, and and sometimes we just depending on what the weather is. Like right now, it's 50 degrees in Charlotte, so it's pretty cold. So outdoor photo shoots have to be like super quick, and then go to the next location. Super quick, go to the next location. So. Yeah, it takes time and editing takes time. Like the photographers want to make sure that their images are at their best as well. So it definitely takes time. <laughs> it's not a definitely not like a one take, one shot type of right. thing. Like it takes time for sure. Well, that's so unique that you're doing that along with your culinary and your bartending and your hospitality business. How could someone that's listening that may be interested in getting into this, what would you advise them? How do they get into fashion? How do they get into the modeling? And what's some of the you know, barriers or things to watch out for as they get into it? Um, the barriers I would say is don't let anyone scam you. You should never have to pay to go to a casting call. You should never have to pay to um, 
get simple portfolio pictures done of you, like um, your Polaroids, which you can take those yourself in your house, which is what I do. Um, yeah, it's really people who like to scam people who are just getting into modeling. Um, they take advantage of their dream, right? Their goal and they, they sell them. Yeah, take advantage of their dream. And that person may not be as knowledgeable either. So they try to take, of that, take advantage of that person, how naive they may, may be in that industry. But yeah, starting out, all you have to do is take simple, clean Polaroid pictures of yourself. And Polaroids are just, you know, you in all black, a clean face, hair pulled back, and a white background. You can take those anywhere in your house where you have really good lighting. Um, and that's pretty much it. And just try to get- and What do you do? You send that to an agency or somebody post them? Yeah, you can send it to agencies. You can um, make a comp card, which is what you take usually with you to castings and- um, Whenever you go to like any show, it's pretty much like your business card. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like you meet somebody who may be beneficial to your your um, your business or whatever it is that you're trying to do, a comp card is definitely a way they will remember you. So it has your photo and your contact information, email, phone number, whatever, and they can reach out to you if they have something that fits. Yep. It has everything on it. your measurements, name, email, like you said, contact info. Pretty much everything that they could use to get in contact. Now, who usually contacts you? The agency, the photographer, the client? How does that work? Depending on um, what it is that you do. Right now, I'm a freelance model, so I'm not um, with an agency, which is a pro and a con, but I kind of like it and it's a pro for me. But some others would probably say it's like a pro and a con just because agencies, um, of course, they have a bigger network and they're able to put you out to more people to see. Um, but social media has become such a tremendous aspect in everybody's life. Literally, people contact me. Clients, The clients come literally to me and directly email me or directly message me on Instagram. So that way there's like no third party either. And I can decide if I would like to do whatever it is that they're asking me to do myself. I don't have to go through anyone else and tell them mm -hmm. I don't want to do it or, you know, yes, I would be okay to do it. It's pretty much all up to me what I decide I want to do or not. So with social media, you can bypass that middle person, right? The middle and, and cut them right out of it. Exactly. Because the con I'm guessing with this agency is that they take a cut, they take money. Yes. An agency, they usually take 10 to 15%, I want to say. Um and it's just kind of like, why would I want to do that? I want to be able to keep all of my money myself. I'm putting my I'm putting my money into myself. I'm investing in myself. So I would want to get that money back. Right. But <laughs> I guess you could say agencies are investing in you as well because they are putting you out for other brands and other clients to see you. So it, it has its you know, it's good and it's bad. Now how did how does how does the travel get paid for? How about the wardrobes? Is that all put given to you as the model or do you have to is that on your responsibility? So sometimes depending on what it is that the client is asking for of me, or if I have to go out of town, then I would usually um, include travel into my, um, I guess you could say into my packages or anything like that. Um, sometimes depending on what type of shoot it is, if it's just like product shoots or e-commerce work, I usually go with my hair and makeup already done because they're just taking pictures of the clothes. It's not really about me posing or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and But if it's actually for like a client, which is like the, the photo shoot I just did recently with Aceva, they pay for everything. So hair and makeup was provided. Um, 
clothing, wardrobe was provided. All I had to bring was a pair of sneakers. That's awesome. Fascinating. Fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how can someone follow you or how can they reach out to you? Or is there, do you have like a portfolio or can they, can they see you? Can they reach out to you? Yes. So I actually just finished my website. Um, it's jairamore.com at format. Um, I also have Instagram at jmichelle with three underscores because some people look at it and they're like, is that a line? But it's three underscores. Um, I also have Facebook and Twitter, um, Jaira Michelle for both of those as well. And yeah, you guys can contact me. I have my food page. I also have my body positivity page as well. Um, my food page is my food is dot dot dot. And my body positivity page is my body is dot dot dot. So I'm building my brand, trying to build my brand with all three of those. Great. And I'll get those links and put them in the show notes. So if anyone's listening and wants to reach out or ask you questions or just to follow you or to see some of the things that you've produced, um, you know, they'll have that information. Yes. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to take a quick pause right now and ask you, the listener of this episode, to sign up for our newsletter and mailing list. I left a link in the description below, or maybe even easier to just go to https slash slash chefroach slash contact. That's chefroach, all one word, slash contact. Then just go down to the bottom of the page and sign up for our newsletter. It's free. Then once you're signed up, you will never miss out on our latest news, announcements, episodes, contests, course information, or exclusive deals. So go ahead, sign up so you can get all of this information and more through the periodic email updates. And don't worry, you can always unsubscribe if you don't like it. The link again is https colon slash slash chefroach slash contact. So go ahead, do it now. We want you to be part of our community. And if you don't do it now, you will probably just forget by the time this episode is over. So just hit pause right now and take the 15 to 20 seconds to get it done and then come back and hit play. We'll wait for you. I promise. Okay, hopefully you just did it or you have already done it in the past or at the very least, you will be doing it very soon. Your support of the show and the network is very important to us, and we thank you in advance. Alrighty, so now back to the show. So as a female and you know person of color, what is the experience from that perspective or point of view that you've seen or you've had or experienced in whether that's culinary arts, whether that's the hospitality industry, or whether that's the fashion world? Is anything you could speak to that about? Um, I definitely can speak on that. I worked for Hilton for about five years. Um, the first two years, I was just a line cook in the kitchen and I would do a little bit of bartending here and there when help was needed. Um, and that was my first location with Hilton when I first moved to North Carolina. Um, I didn't really pay it any mind. I was still young. I was kind of finishing up my last like year or so. Um, right before I was getting ready to graduate from Johnson and Wales. So I really didn't pay any attention if people were being, you know, rude to me as far as, you know, me being a minority and sometimes the only minority in the hotel industry. Um, I didn't really take offense to it until I got ready to transfer to another location with them. And I was 
the youngest person in my department, the only minority in my department, and the only minority in a management position in my department. Wow. Um, so once I became an assistant food and beverage director, I thought, okay, this is, you know, I thought the hotel and lodging industry was what I wanted to do. Um, and I think those last two years of me being in that industry really swayed my um, outlook because it just wasn't um, how I thought people should treat each other if we're in the hospitality industry, whether it's a guest or you're, you know, a staff member or a coworker. It just wasn't something that aligned with me and my values and my morals. Um, Did you see discriminatory practices? Definitely discriminatory. Um, a few slurs here and there. Mm. Um, yeah, just wasn't what I thought coming to a position like that would be like, um, just because I was so excited. And this is pretty much what I had been going to school for. And I knew like this was something that I wanted to do. And I love the hotel industry. Like when I did my internship at the SLS, I just thought it was like the most cool thing ever because people always try to, people always want to know like, what are the inner workings of a hotel? Like they see the housekeepers who clean the rooms and stuff like that, but they don't know like what the people in the kitchens do, what the people who are putting on the banquets and setting up the banquets and everything like that, and what the, the bartender in the bar is doing. So I definitely was super excited when I took on that role, but I definitely was not expecting, um, you know, all of the things that would come with it. Me being the youngest in my department, the people who were in positions under me uh, and over me really didn't take into consideration things I would say. They didn't really... Um, like my opinion really didn't matter, although I was in a, a pretty good position, I would say. Um, so they discounted your ideas. You think it was because of age or was it because that you're a female? I think or? it was because of age. Um, I mean, like I said, I was the only minority in my department and in, in a management position. So, And I, I definitely think it was majority age, too, because they would just be like, oh, you're still in school. You're young. Like pretty much like, what do you know? You're still learning. But it's just like, I'm literally learning this right now and I'm bringing it to you guys because this is what I'm learning. This is what I'm going to school for. And this is what I'm passionate about. And this is what I love. So yeah, I definitely think it was just kind of, it just kind of just went over their heads. Do you think it might be that one property or that one location, state, city, or do you think that's rampant throughout the industry? Or? I think it's rampant throughout the industry because even while I was um, doing my internship, I definitely got a little bit of that heat from a few of the the male chefs that were, um, you know, sous chefs and high, sh you know, higher up chefs. Um, they didn't really too much care for, you know, the the smaller, you know, workers and stuff like that. So hmm. I figured in the beginning, I thought, okay, this is just something that comes with, you know, comes with the industry or whatever the case may be. But as I got older and the more I learned, I'm like, I don't have to take this from anybody, regardless of the position they may, they may be in or the position that I may be in. I don't have to take disrespect if I don't want to take disrespect. Hmm. Do you have any specific example of what, how they were treated or was a story along the way or something that, you know, really comes to mind? Um, definitely before I got ready to leave the Hilton, um, we were getting ready to put on a banquet for a Indian family. Um, and they wanted to bring their own foods because of course nobody could cook Indian food in our department. Um, and, and just the other, the other coworkers would just make, you know, small comments about how their food smells and, you know, how their food stinks and the stuff that they wear to, 
their um, celebrations and stuff like that. And, and I just would, you know, tell them like, these are not things we need to talk about right now in the workplace. Like if you want to talk about those things, do that on your own time. We don't want guests to hear you guys. And, you know, even when you think, even when people think you aren't listening, you're always listening. And I would just hear, you know, little, little remarks and little slurs that I don't want to disclose, but and we're, and we're in the hospitality business. They're guests. They're paying guests. <laughs> exactly. So it's just kind of like those are not things you should be talking about in the workplace and continue to give them good service, regardless if you you know agree with how they celebrate whatever they're celebrating or not. Like you said, they're paying guests. They they paid, you know, their money to have a good time at our at our establishment. So, yeah. Now, in the industry, after school or even during school, did you have any, you know, problems with being a female in the kitchen? Because I know some people brought that up. Was there any sexual harassment from people that you worked with? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Sexual harassment, I haven't had to deal with. Um, but definitely just being a woman in the kitchen, they try to give you the small jobs as if you can't do um, bigger things. They try to give you the busy work, I feel like. Just, you know, just so you can say you're doing something, even though it's not something that you necessarily may want to do. Um, In the beginning, I was like, okay, this is the learning process. So maybe these are things that I need to do. But once I became further along in my culinary education and my work experience, I realized like, I don't have to do this. Like, I know a lot more than you think I know. And you're either going to put me in stuff that is going to progress me is and in my culinary career or this is like just not going to work for me because I don't want to be doing something that people do, you know, doing the same thing 10, 15 years, you know, sometimes the rest of their life. I don't want to get up and go to work and do the same thing every day. I don't want to come in and prep tomatoes and cucumbers and carrots every day when I come to work. Mm -hmm. That's not something I want to do. So I definitely can say being a woman in the industry um, definitely has its downs, which is crazy because Female chefs are better, better chefs than male chefs. Like this, we all know this, but, but yeah, I definitely can't say being a female chef in the industry, um, kind of is, a, is kind of hurts you a little because they don't think you, you felt like them. they were, you felt like they were marginalizing your skills and your experience and just like, yeah, blowing it off. Yeah. They were trying to like, definitely, definitely trying to downplay my skills as if I can't do some of the stuff that the big boys do. Like if anything, I feel like I myself or any other, you know, students who may have gone to Johnson and Wales, female students, we, I feel like we soak it in way more. We pay attention to detail a lot more sometimes than males do. Um, and I don't think chefs, you know, upper hand male chefs take advantage of that, that we pay attention to detail a lot more like, but you know, that's the world we live in. (laughs) So now that you are an influencer yourself, you know, social media and where you work and in your management roles, who was a influence to you growing up? Did you have one or two or three, and it could be personal or professional that influenced you that you want to give a shout out to? Um, Definitely my granny. She's my biggest influence. That lady has worked so hard forever. Before I was born, when, when I was born, like she has worked so tremendously hard and I'm so glad she's like been able to retire now. Um, my mom, she's a big influence on my life as well. She definitely showed me how community is a big aspect in our life. Um, my mom does a lot of work with kids in our city, um, just opening their eyes to new things and I've done cooking classes with them as well. So sometimes I'll go home and, you know, do like little cooking classes at the rec center where she works, you know, just so 
they know it's other stuff to eat besides, you know, McDonald's and, you know, junk food and stuff like that. So <laughs> um, those two are definitely my biggest influences. Chef wise, um, Chef D, she was DJ Khaled's chef. She's also a Johnson and Wells graduate um, from Miami. Um, she was a really big influence. She was definitely, I could say, the toughest chef on me. That I, oh my God, I used to think she was so mean, but <laughs> she definitely um, built my skin a lot, 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 lot tougher for this industry, for me to be in this industry. I can't say she's been a really good influence on me as well. Awesome. And just some of the other female chefs that I met um, along the way in Miami and in Atlanta, Chef Danny. She's a really big um, influencer for me as well. She's like a celebrity chef for a numerous cele- celebrities. Um, and I got to meet her in Miami oh. doing some catering with Chef D for, you know, a few celebrities as well. So those two women definitely are influential as my mom and my granny for sure. Great. Awesome. So let's go back to now bartending mixologist. What's your favorite drink to make? Do you have one, a favorite, or does it change over time? Old fashions are my favorite because I feel like they never go out of style. Everybody loves a good old fashioned. And I love a good old fashioned because I'm a bourbon and whiskey drinker myself. So (laughs) I love a good old fashioned. So I definitely feel like that never goes out of style no matter what season it is. Like I love a good old fashioned. But now you're working with vodka, right? You're doing that infused. What are you going to name that spirits when they when they come out? Do you have a name already picked out a brand? I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure like what you know, what would flow with it and something that's catchy. So when people go to the store and if I decide to, you know, make it like a mainstream thing, or if I just want to keep it private, I want it to be something catchy where people, you know, can remember it. So it's like, oh yeah, you guys remember that, that vodka, you know, I'll try, I just can't, I haven't thought of a name yet, but I have been like really brainstorming on it and I have not thought of a name yet, but if, the listeners can, you know, give me some ideas. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> good. So maybe if anyone has a good idea or maybe you, you're a distributor now or a vodka producer or someone is listening and maybe they can reach out to you and you can work a deal and co-packers and yes. get that all done. <laughs> that would be awesome. Okay. So uh, I got to jump back to Johnson and Wales real quick here because you went to Miami and Charlotte. What's the better campus? Miami. No, no thought about it. Whoa. <laughs> no thought about it. Miami was was the way better campus for sure. <laughs> no hesitation. None. Charlotte, it was snow here and we would still have to go to class. Like, and I was so not a fan of that. I was so not a fan of walking to class in the snow. But that's what comes with, you know, deciding to transfer location. But Yes, Miami was a, definitely the better campus for sure. Great. And I'm so heartbroken that they've decided to like start the process of shutting the Miami campus down. But Yeah, Miami and Denver closing this summer. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty heart-wrenching. But definitely good times I will forever remember. And I've made so many friends that I still keep in contact with to this day. So those are memories that were never fade. So what's next for you? What's your next goals? And then the next year, the next five years, where do you see yourself going? What's your aspirations? What's your dreams? So right now I'm about to open a few vending machines in some of the local businesses here in Charlotte. So that'll be another avenue that I'll be going into as well. Um, and what's going to be in the vending machine? Um, just probably like a few snacks, some, some, uh, healthy snacks and, you know, okay. I'm trying to get some of the local, um, the local 
snackers, I guess you could say, or snack distributors, people who make their own snacks in Charlotte. Um, I'm trying to get some of their snacks in my vending machine as well. Um, so I've been reaching out to a few companies and, you know, small business owners, I guess you could say, who make their own snacks. So I'm trying to get their snacks in my vending machine as well. Good. Um, and what else am I doing? I'm doing my vending machines. That's something I just started. The ultimate goal is to open my own cigar lounge. Wow. Because I love whiskey and bourbon and that's, you know, what goes best with cigars. So I feel like I have a lot of knowledge. I know I have a lot of knowledge in, you know, the alcohol and spirits and, um, liqueurs aspect of the business. So now I'm starting to learn about cigars and, you know, what cigars go with what whiskeys and what glass should you serve it in and stuff like that. So that's the ultimate goal. And I'm trying to figure out where, you know, location wise would be best. And, you know, just, you know, taking it day by day because that's the ultimate goal. So it's going to take a little time on that. Maybe you got to find a cigar shop right now and pair up with them and yeah. you do the bar and they have the cigars and you kind of make a you know a partnership. And I'm trying to decide if I want to go back to Miami just because it's a bigger market, you know, and a bigger avenue and they make cigars literally on the strip in Miami. Sure. Cigars. <laughs> yeah. So it'd be a lot easier. Roll them right there. For right. Them. <laughs> so it'd be a, a lot easier to, you know, get cigars in. Um, so yeah, it's still, you know, a learning process and I'm still trying to figure it all out. Cause I don't really know much about cigars. So I go to, you know, local cigar lounges here in Charlotte and, you know, just to see what their consumers like and, you know, just, you know, try to see what the competition does. So great. Awesome. So what advice would you give someone then that came to you that asked, Hey, I'm interested in the culinary arts or hospitality, or, or I want to go to culinary school, or I want to be a get into the fashion industry, a model, what advice would you give to someone new that's coming up through the ranks that's entering into these different industries today? I would tell them culinary math is real. So don't let anybody tell you it's not real. <laughs> Make sure you at least know the basic culinary math. Um, that's one of my favorite subjects. Oh my gosh. <laughs> culinary math is so real. And Chef Rose knows I struggled so hard. So culinary math is so real. Um, I would definitely tell them the business aspect of culinary is is very beneficial. I didn't think accounting would be beneficial, but even while I was working with the Hilton, the owner of the property would help me with my accounting homework. So I definitely can say that is beneficial towards, you know, if you want to open up a culinary, your own culinary business, whether it may be a restaurant, a bar, whatever it can be, um, accounting is, is a very beneficial in any type of the business classes that you take. Um, and as you probably know, I always start each class with, you can be the best chef in the world and go broke if you don't know yes. how to make money. And that's true for all businesses. It's about making revenue. Yes. And that that's very true. I can say I've done a little of everything. Like when I moved to Charlotte, I worked on a food truck. I've done fast food. I've tried the cruise ship industry. Like that, you, that is definitely, is super beneficial. You have to know the business aspect. Even if you don't, don't go deep into the business aspect, just having somewhat of background knowledge about it is super beneficial. So that would definitely be the biggest piece of advice I would give. Just make sure you have some type of business background um, and just take a few classes like on stuff that you have no idea about. Because the business classes that we took, I had no idea about any of those topics. Like, Because I didn't think I didn't think we would be taking classes about those. I thought it was just going to be strictly, you know, us being in the kitchen, 
and, you know, stuff like that. But once we started taking those academics, I was like, academics for what? <laughs> like, we're in the kitchen. <laughs> I'm going to be a cook. Exactly. I'm going to be a chef. What do I need academics for? But no. I'll hire somebody. <laughs> right. I can hire somebody. But once we started taking those classes, they were like, well, you hire an accountant. They can steal from you. I'm like, oh, yeah, let me actually pay attention now. So, yes, those those business classes definitely help for sure. And there's and there's so many people you, you bring it up that really don't know that part of it. Whether they just didn't think it was important or they skipped it because you know I have a YouTube channel out there and I put a video out there like we learn in school on how to cost out a recipe. And that one video alone has like 180,000 views and people are always commenting out there like, oh, I need to know this. And I'm like, they're in business and they're succeeding despite themselves because they're not really no costing. <laughs> so at least that video is at least helping some of them get back on track because they're leaving money on the table. Yes. And those videos and even some of our books that we have, I still keep some of those books that teach us um, about breaking down the cost of a recipe and buying produce and buying, you know, meats and stuff like that. So sure. they definitely help. Definitely. Okay. So what other advice? They should know math. They should know business, whatever that is, know how to make a profit in the business. So that's good advice. Anything else you'd give them? I would, else, I would also tell them, don't let anybody tell you that culinary is just one avenue. There's so much you can do. Food photography, food blogging, food critic. Like it's so much that you can do in culinary. Food scientists, like it's so much you can do. And I don't I don't think people realize like just because I go to culinary school doesn't mean I have to particularly be working in someone's kitchen. Uh, you're going to work in the kitchen in some type of in some type of form, but you don't always have to be in the kitchen. I don't always have to be on the line. So I would definitely tell, you know, anybody that who's going into culinary school is so much more you can do. I think when you're going into culinary school, it's good to have that background knowledge. So if you do become something else in the culinary field, people can't tell you, oh, you don't know what that's going to taste like. Or you don't know anything about those ingredients when it's like, yeah, actually, I do, because I have a degree in this or I went to school for this. So I can tell you about what it is that I'm eating, as well as take a nice picture that goes with it. I can give you a critique on it. I can tell you, you know, what ingredients might be in it. I can give you a good menu description. So there's people who literally make a living off of writing menu descriptions or doing consulting for people, um, businesses who have, you know, menus that are coming out or, you know, it's so much that can be done in the culinary industry. So I would definitely tell them, don't let anybody tell you that you have to be in this just one lane. And there's so many you can be in. And it goes so much more than just a restaurant. It gives you credibility in so many other outlets and avenues that you pursue. And it's also a life skill because mm -hmm. you can always, you know, cook great meals for yourself and your family. Exactly. People always got to eat. My mom <laughs> always told me, she was like, um, I can say culinary was a very good field for you to go into because people always have to eat. Yeah. That's so true. Well, that is just about all the time we have for this episode. And I want to first thank you, Jaira, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. We appreciate your time, your honesty, and your insight that you provided to all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. And it was so <laughs> good seeing you, Chef Roche. That was good catching up. I really enjoyed our chat. Bye-bye now. See ya. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. 
That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207-835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you, and that is to share the podcast with everyone you know and to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next culinary school story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.